Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Panic on the streets of New York. Panic on the streets of Timperley. Doing drugs with a DJ, with a DJ. Oh, I'm hooked now. Oh, bollocks. It's the Panic in Needle Park. That was awful. <laughs> my um, my cold made me sound a bit like Frank Sidebottom, <laughs> <laughs> or somewhere between my voice and his. He does a he does a good cover of Panic by uh, the Smiths about about Timberley. I mean, I'd rather listen to him than Morrissey. And me, yeah. no doubt. I'll listen to Morrissey sing in the Smiths. I won't listen to him about. In any other context. And <laughs> Brexit and England. Well, England within the context of his songs, to a certain point. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, that panic. We're on about the panic. The panic you get when you need heroin and you need it quick sharp. <laughs> Hi, guys. I need some heroin. Do you know where it is? You you got any? <laughs> I don't. Oh, gosh darn it. That's going to be a That's going to be a real... Problem for me. I think that's it's kind of summed it, up the film. <laughs> yeah, I also think you tonally have matched what it was like in like the nineteen forties with all like the the beatnik writers, but because oh, they were all still wearing suits and hats. Oh, this this heroine's uh, mighty fine. It's pretty modish, isn't it? Oh, I could do with some more. You got some more, buddy? <laughs> I'm gonna rob you. <laughs> <laughs> All your money and your watch, buddy. That's it. See you around now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Anyway, hello. Welcome to Spider Phil Film Conversation. Hooray! Hooray. Uh, here on the podcast, we talk about films this week. The film is The Panic in Needle Park. And it was selected by Jamie because, well, he can tell you that. Jamie. Why? But first, give the details of the film. <laughs> the Panic in Needle Park from 1971, uh, directed by Jerry Schatzberg. Uh, it stars Al Pacino, Kitty Wynn, Alan Vint, Paul Savino, apparently. I didn't. He was him. in the police station, was he? Oh, was that him? He, yeah. had, he looked very young. Wow. I mean, yeah, this, this film has a lot of very young uh, actors who are I still don't know quite where I've recognised everyone but probably mm. most notably it was uh, Rol Julia's first role in film um, which mm. I didn't even know he was in this um, until he turned up immediately looking very young um, anyway it was written by uh, James Mills, Joan Didion and John Gregory Dunn uh, it's based on the novel by uh, James Mills um, and the IMDB summary actually sums it up really nicely follows the lives of heroin addicts who frequent Needle Park in New York City which yeah that's that's it yep <laughs> simple premise it's going to be a tough I mean, conversation a, thinking of things to say a dog jumps beyond. off a boat at one point but other than that <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh if Abby who usually joins us uh, had joined us uh, she she missed this one out. She was like, "I gotta try this heroin," and has left now to, <laughs> to to go cure some and try it out. So we'll let you know how that goes. Uh, but yeah, she would if she'd done the pod. The one thing that happened when we were watching it was like, so they buy a dog in it, 
And I'd seen it before she hadn't. And she was like, oh, the dog doesn't die, does it? Because you're like, these junkies think they'll look after a dog. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no, I don't think the dog dies. Immediately the dog yeah. jumps <laughs> off only, a boat. <laughs> not only is it like the most immediate um, like circumstance of a dog dying in a film, but it's also one of the weirdest where it just just runs off a boat. What is doing that? A I mean, it's a puppy, yeah. Yeah, but um, no, I... Oh. I mean, I guess we'll get into me not seeing this before, but yeah, I hadn't seen this before. And the second that scene with them in the, like, picking up that puppy started, I was like, the fucking dog's dead. (laughs) There's no way this is going any other direction. And I was surprised that we didn't actually see the dog die. Well, I had I had a very small window to be wrong in, and it was just like, <laughs> no, the dog is dead. He literally couldn't have. I nearly didn't finish the sentence before he had jumped off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't remember fully, but I was like, I don't remember it. It's because the dog is gone from the film. <laughs> That's why I didn't remember it. Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah right up stuff. front. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen the film, uh, spoilers, and also if you can't handle dogs dying, just maybe especially puppies. Um. It doesn't that, die that dog would be anything, dead but... if the dog had survived. That dead, that dog would have died long ago. Like honestly, well, yeah, honestly, the way the dog dies in the film and the fact that it dies that quickly, probably a mercy because something much worse would have probably ended up happening to that <laughs> dog. Well, would have oh no, now the dog's have done heroin. <laughs> you thinking it would be like uh, in train spot, and the dog would be like climbing the ceiling and then turning around? <laughs> the well, that could have on the ceiling. They could have had nightmares about killing a dog. But they didn't. Oh, anyway. So you picked it because this is one of those films that has been on my periphery forever, um, and it was actually lent to me by someone years ago on DVD who was like, you know, knows I'm a pretentious film snob, and was like, "Oh, this is the kind of uh, sad bullshit you'd love." <laughs> yeah, difficult, sad film that you would really like. Um, and for some reason, I just didn't ever get around to watching it. It just, I just had this DVD for ages, um, and I don't know why I didn't watch it. Um, but then recently, um, I rewatched The Godfather parts one and two um, because my wife had never seen them, but she got me for them on like 4K Blu-ray, um, and I rewatched those and was like, "Oh, these are as." Good, if not better than I remember from when I watched them, and also Al Pacino's fucking great because, like na- these days, he should, he should be is... in a big movie like The Godfather, I reckon. Mm. <laughs> um, no, like I know it's it maybe sounds stupid to say, yeah, Al Pacino's a really good actor, but like there's a generation of people now who are like, hey, it's the who know him as like, oh, it's the Dunkachino guy from Jack and Jill or whatever, <laughs> or it, or that weird old man who was presenting at the Game Awards last year for some reason and was <laughs> yeah. just hanging around on stage for ages, not, clearly not giving a shit about where he was. Um, so it's it was one of those things where it was like, oh, maybe I should finally fucking watch this because it was his first like starring role in a movie. Um, and yeah, no shit. Al Pacino's fucking great in this as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he. Um... I mean, it's not a great person he plays. Oh um, yeah, because Scarface is... and and uh, yeah, Michael exactly. Corleone is so great. <laughs> Michael Corleone, Michael starts good. Quiet. He starts quiet, and 
I don't know. We're not reviewing the fucking Godfather. <laughs> um, I mean, this but a, yeah, this it, a... it basically yeah, it was it was one of those ones that was like, oh no, I should finally fucking watch this. Um, that's good. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's good reason. But I also knew that it was going to be grim, so I wanted to inflict it on everyone else as well. <laughs> I will say, Al Pacino obviously is. Uh, you know, this is a breakthrough performance for him, yeah. but I think uh, Kitty Wynn's pretty amazing. Like it's her yeah, piece it was... as well. I was going to talk about Kitty Wynn because, um, yes, there is an exorcist connection in this film. It was unintentional. Um, when the film started, and I saw that name and I was like, "That's why is that familiar? And then I saw her and I was like, fuck, this is driving me mental. So, yeah, I looked her up and yes, she's Sharon in The Exorcist. Um, but yeah, she... Both of them, I mean, everyone is really good in this. Um, it's part of what makes the film so difficult to watch. Um, but this is one of those films, I don't remember, I've talked about this before, where it's always not impressive because that sounds patronizing, but like admirable to see a woman in a role, especially in the 70s, who isn't afraid to like look bad because that was such, you know. Even well, in the seventies, even now, it's like if a woman doesn't look great, even in a movie where she's playing someone who is a mess, it's like potentially a problem. So both of them in this film really like put themselves through the fucking ringer and make it feel very real. Yeah, because even sometimes uh, exploitative roles for women like prostitutes uh, or sex workers, if you prefer, uh, they can be like glamorized, like, oh, she's a sexy bitch who's in charge of her life. It's like, well, yeah, there's it's no sadder life film. than that. There's, there's, there is no glamour in this film to any any aspect of it. It's not even really a fall from grace either. It's it's a, a fall from not very far up to, <laughs> to the gutter, from the curb yeah. to the gutter, really. Yeah, hmm. but I just thought it was. Uh, it's it's just weird because you know, like Al Pacino has gone on to have a, a legendary career, and then she sort of uh, did well, not. Didn't it? it seems like she re- retired from acting, like it, because I, whenever I looked her up on IMDb, I saw that her credits ended mostly in like the around in the eighties, and I thought like, oh shit, did she die? But no, she just seem to step away from acting and apparently she's done some stage stuff more recently but yeah well I, hope, I mean know. if if this is your first film and then you go on to do the exorcist I can tell off I can <laughs> I can imagine if you're like I think I might have had enough <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah well you know if I, I hope she did just pack it in for you know whatever reason not not that she wasn't getting anywhere some people are just was... like I'm having kids I can't be asked for this see yeah. you later she was in The Exorcist 2, and I can also see how that would put you off <laughs> doing any more acting. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, she's good in this. And she kind of has to do that uh, endlessly, like, little pup. Well, not to bring up dogs again, but puppy dog. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever uh, you want, because I'm meek and, <laughs> and uh, like a little mouse. And Okay, and, you know, she has to be sort of sad and, and, and endlessly loving, and yet at the same time, uh, naive, and then still, and then to turn a little bit more irresponsible and uh, be drawn into a world of uh, 
vice. You know, it's an interesting performance. It's subtler that Al Pacino has to like, you know, dick around and be charming and occasionally pretend to pass out. Like he's much more of a lively character and more interesting mm-hmm. and draws the eye. And her but her performance is like I've got to slowly go from mouse to uh, yeah. No. Yeah, she has a bit more of an arc than he does. Not like unintentionally, like that's not a criticism. He stays but... who he is kind of throughout. He doesn't change yeah. and ooh, yeah, it's kind of a bit. Well, I mean, he, I, I mean, I guess we'll talk more about it. Yeah, maybe. Uh Anthony, well not maybe, will there's no point otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Anthony, had you seen this before? No, it was on like it was on my radar, but I couldn't remember why. Um <laughs> But uh, after watching after watching the first five minutes, I realised uh, Raúl Julia was in it, uh, and uh, I had like a, a Raúl Julia season a while back. So I like I looked up all his films, and this must have come up during that. So that's why it was on my radar. Um, I didn't really know much about it. I mean, I it was it was a weird one because I, I watched the trailer, and it's like, oh, you know, seventies kind of pretty American mm-hmm. New York. Um, drama. It's like, oh yeah, this is my bag. But then there's something in my mind going like, oh, I don't know. There's something about this where I'm like, I'm not going to like this. <laughs> I, I don't think. Well, it's not a movie um, to enjoy, I don't think. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I don't think you're exactly. supposed to like it, necessarily. <laughs> and uh, I, I have I have mixed feelings about the film. Yeah. Um, okay. We get into it, but other than that, I came in. I came in with mixed feelings. I left with mixed feelings. All right. Uh, speaking of Raúl Julia, I think the same year, or it must have been quite close because he looked as young. I saw him in a film recently uh, called The Organization, which was uh, fucking a sequel to They Call Me Mister Tibbs. <laughs> Which is a sequel to The Heat of the Night, I want to say. Yeah, um, yeah it looks like it's, uh, yeah, both both 71. And they were very, like, he was a, a part of a team of bank robbers in there. And it's very, like, they're like, I don't, they're like weird vigilante bank robbers. They didn't make, they were sort of robbing from other criminals to sort of make sure the police stop them. Pretty weird. Uh, but he was like a, equally, like, Maybe slight, no, yeah, equally small role in that, and it yeah. was very like, oh my god, he's so young and looks just poor. <laughs> Something I didn't ever realize. He did this and a film called "Been Down So Long." It looks like up to me and the organization in seventy one, and then in seventy one to seventy two, he played a character called Raphael on Sesame Street for eleven episodes. <laughs> did not know Raul Julia was in Sesame Street. Well, I presume he wasn't puppeteering like Oscar the Grouch or something. He must have been a human. Yeah. Maybe he was like selling heroin or something. <laughs> to, a big, <laughs> to a big bird. Or the Snuffleupagus would have been huffing, uh, huffing up the old cocaine, wouldn't he? Although he's pretty laid back, so who knows? Yeah, he was too relaxed for that. Well, someone who could who, who was able to see... Was Big Bird the one who was able to see Snuffleupagus? See him? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, yeah, because that was... Snuffleupagus. Oh, because he's is... imaginary. Well, he was, but then they changed it so that everyone could see him because so that's more after... convenient. Well, they no, they re- realized that like 
you know, because Sesame Street is all about like kind of helping children's development and they realize it could potentially be damaging to have like a character that only one other character can see. And they were like, oh, this is going to make kids feel really like weird and sad. (laughs) So they like changed it so that he just is exists. They just stopped dealing with someone with schizophrenia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Made it canon. I think if anyone in Sesame Street is a junkie, it's fucking Oscar the Grouch, though. I mean, oh he lives God. in a bin. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He sold all of his possessions and is now living in a bin. And there's a reason he's a Grouch, and it's because he's got <laughs> he's got the panic, <laughs> the panic in Sesame Street. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Elmo would definitely be the the coke fiend. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking Oscar the Grouch is pimping out whoever he can. So who knows? Maybe Big Bird is like an ex hooker as well. This is too dark. Let's get back to the <laughs> that lovely. Took a quick turn with Big Bird. Well, yeah, I'm just I, I don't know my my gritty seventies realism starting to seep into what Sesame Street could be about. Uh, if anything, Sesame Street makes children feel like it's safe in New York to go play. I'm not <laughs> that's, sure. Yeah, that's true. Obviously, obviously, the people of New York grew up there. You know, kids do grow up in New York, but uh, they grow up into these characters. <laughs> That, well, they grew up into these characters in the 70s. Now I think New Yorkers grow up into podcasters. Yeah, well, they can all be bad for your health, can't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I had seen this one before. I bought it on DVD. I bought it like when I was maybe a teenager or um, a student. Like maybe starting college, I was like, right, what's all this yeah. stuff? I've, what's, I've been watching too many... Um, mainstream comedies and <laughs> and children's programs time to start cracking open the world of you know adult cinema that's i was going to say this is very much a like college film student film not in not in uh like again i don't mean that as a negative thing it's just it is very much kind of one of those films this and and blue velvet and i'm go- i'm uh, going to college and you get a big stack of, of like at our age dvds to watch serious grown up films here's all the actors you love in the films you're you're uh, you know you, you watch scarface and goodfellas or something and then you're like oh i love these guys they're great and then you go well, who else they done and then you know some person in hmv goes you look you have these you know <laughs> and then you start looking at like some of the films uh these Interesting seventies into the eighties into the nineties actors were doing you know these the the legends of star stage and screen no um you know the, your, your big hitters your De Niro's your your yeah. um Pacino's. it's also one of the things that uh made me even more ashamed that I never watched it when it was originally lent to me is that this is a very early grimy 70s New York movie. I was like, mm. I fucking love grimy 70s New York. Hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a good time to look at. I mean, mm. yeah, it's a, it seems like it wasn't a good time to be there, but yeah. Unless you're a filmmaker, it's a great time yeah. to be coming up. I don't know, like, uh, the world of 70s New York cinema is, is usually a, a bankable for entertainment. Mm. Uh, so you know, it was just one one of many DVDs that of Al Pacino's career I I, I bought and watched, and it wasn't when I rewatched again and again because it's you know it's a it's a vibe, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I, I, and Jack and Jill. This <laughs> is a different vibe. Uh, yeah. So it's sort of it. I, I liked it enough to keep hold of it. If I if I don't like something, I will I will you know get rid. I don't I'm not 
I'm not precious about when I bought it, so I'm keeping it. And you know, so I liked it enough. But I think it's just it just crosses over into like I'll keep this because it. I mean, how many times can you watch sad lives unfold? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was good to come back to it again. I must have watched it. Maybe this might have been the third time I watched it, like since I was sixteen or something. So that's me. Um, I, you know, I, like we all up for this sort of thing, but we didn't quite know what it was. That's fair enough, isn't it? Um, so yeah, we we sort of talked a little bit about what the the idea is, but essentially, it is. Uh, what's the? What's actually know what they? There's what are their names first of all. The non-actor names. Uh, it, it, uh, Al Pacino is Bobby, and Kitty Wynn is Helen. And those are the two main characters. And then uh, Raul Julia, who appears at the start and then towards the end, is Marco. And it's he's like, I guess, Helen's artist boyfriend? Or friend or something. I thought they were brother and sister, but they were not, are they? Are they brothers? The, they're not. And the cop was called Hutch. Hutch, yeah. Hutch. Which is weird, because he's like blonde and handsome. And when did Starskin Hutch happen? Well, this is Hotch, not Hutch. They oh, made sorry. It legally... Storsky. Storsky and Hotch. <laughs> <laughs> they made it legally distinct. I, I could have sworn I recognised the actor, Alan Vint, who plays Hotch, but I could not see anything in IMDb that I recognise. It's just... Does I, he look I, like someone else? I pretty much had that with everyone in this film. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you go to IMDb and you're like... I don't really recognize most of these films. Yeah, I haven't seen any of these. How do well, I know I'm, these people? I'm, I'm, my brain is like, no, you you know these people. Yeah. Well, like, I, I I don't. I guess they've just, you know, you've seen them here and there over the years kind of thing. An episode of Star Trek or something. Yeah. Background characters. Hmm. What was uh, Al Pacino's brother's name? Was it Hank or something? Oh, God. What yeah, he's fucking... Harry or Hank? Gummy brother. Yeah, Hank. Hank. Yeah. Hmm. So Helen and Bobby, it's kind of their story. It's a romance. It's a romance, isn't it? It's like Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> but instead of uh, kissing poison from each other's lips, they put poison in each other's veins. <laughs> um, you know, it's a tale as old as time. Uh, boy visits you in hospital when you're bleeding from your from your crotch <laughs> and, and need surgery. Yeah, that's and- the just to just to really get the audience into how grim this is going to be. The film starts with her getting, like, an under the, you know, table. A ball under the counter. Under the table. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, because <laughs> I don't I don't know what, I mean, I think... It's a vagina, is the word. Um, well, she has no, I... abdominal blood problems. I don't know. We don't know what it is, do we? Well, she's, so... yeah, she's had an abortion. That's so what, that... Is that what it was? She's meeting that guy at the start of the film. And okay. then... Well, she's on the subway, and she... Oh, like, she's the, she's really upset on the subway. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. and she because she's getting an abortion, which I think... I don't remember when... I was... I personally didn't pick up on her it being an abortion. I, I only, didn't. I only, re, I re, I only realised when I, like... Because I watched it um, a few days ago, so I did a quick synopsis, and I was like, she had an abortion? I don't remember yeah, that. I, it actually did take me reading, like, the Wikipedia plot layout to realise yeah. what was happening in that scene. Um, the, does... of, the, the dialogue is very natural, and there's a lot of... Um, it's not well, about paying attention to every line, is it? It's you, it's a, it's people talking uh, or, or shouting at each other or whatever. <laughs> this That was actually the first thing that I wanted to talk about with this film, is I didn't know 
that it was done in the style it is. Like I, whenever it started and there was like no music, and then after a, like a few minutes, I realized I, I realized like, oh, there's just not going to be a score. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, they, they chose to not. They, I think they they were going to have one, and then they chose not to yeah. use it or something. Um, Artistic then, reasons, I suppose. The the so supposedly again according to IMDb that so maybe maybe not. Um, this was one of the first mainstream American films to do the like cinema verite like filming it almost like a documentary, um, and I. I didn't realize quite how uh, real the film was going to be. Hmm. Um, like you, it, it's very much. It's almost like it's the opposite of um, Requiem for a Dream, which is the other film that I think kind of deals with a similar story. Um, but like Re- Requiem for a Dream is in- intensely stylized, um, and it's more about trying to evoke the experiences that those characters are going through for the audience. Whereas this film, it's almost like it's putting the audience in the room with all these people and just... Yeah, it's more of a how-to-be-a-junkie in New York (laughs) (laughs) The um, The other thing I thought was funny was that it was banned, apparently, for for four years in the UK because of its depiction of drug-taking. And I was like, it's not really... Doesn't look pleasant though. Like, yeah, it's anything it puts you off, right? Yeah, it's a good one to like show kids to be like, this is what would probably happen if you started taking heroin. Well, I suppose they would argue that they're showing in great detail how to do it, and people could copy. That is, yeah, they are. That is also, oh. I mean, the the problems I had watching this film and seeing needles go into veins. I mean, I, I honestly, I was genuinely shocked because. Movies were still getting shit for showing this stuff, like uh, as late as the nineties and yeah, early two thousand. So, so when those scenes came up, I was like, Jesus Christ, how did this <laughs> get through in the seventies? I was too, but only because I'm a tremendous wuss about needles. And I, well, like, it's not t- just on... that, though. I mean, they go into great detail. Oh yeah, show, I know. It's to yeah, literally it's... show them. Like stabbing themselves and, with makeshift yeah. fucking needles. Well, the thing, it's... the thing that freaks me out is the you know it's not like a nice sterile hospital needle to get oh. jabbed in the arm. It's like you're cooking shit up in a bottle cap in a, in a like d- disgusting room with God knows what, and then you're sharing a needle potentially, and it's just like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> the, um... <laughs> it must be really good if you're doing that. <laughs> What got me as well in all a lot of the or all of the needle scenes really um, is uh, how how much they emphasised the sound of the like when the plunger's being pushed in and that like mm. that like noise and it's like oh my god I just the <laughs> I'm one of those people who can't like when I get like an injection or I get blood taken I can't look at it like I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Like the se- the sensation is not pleasant, but it doesn't. That's not what bothers me. It's looking at it and feeling it. Like <laughs> I, I had blood taken not long ago, and I was like, "She was like, are you all right?" I was like, "Yeah, I just I I can't <laughs> I can't look at it." <laughs> what got me was um when when they were like putting it in, they weren't kind of just like jabbing it in. They were doing like the little taps. Gah, and there I was something there was something too real about that. Gah. I was like, oh yeah, that's the other thing about having blood taken is when they put the thing around your arm and then like have you like 
can you like pump your arm a little bit to get the veins to sit? And I'm already like, I'm going to fucking throw up in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. They always tell me I've got good veins as well. I'm like, oh, shut up. What are you fucking... <laughs> good veins. I think yeah. vampires or something. <laughs> like, well, the, thing that, the thing that did my head in uh, is the scene, like there's a scene where uh, Bobby is a bit, like, he's not ordeing exactly, but he's a bit, he's a bit far gone and is uh, in, in some sort of danger zone or oh, something. Oh, no, he, he passed does. Out. He would... No, he ODs. He does OD. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't OD to death, you know. He like yeah, they manage like, to. They, they get him up and walking around. But yeah. there's a like he's done it. Uh, one of his friends who has a baby and it's, the baby's on the oh, bed and crying, God. and she wants to turn a trick because she's uh, trying to make money herself. So she's got like a, a a client coming, and she wants them all to shut up. It's, it's all screaming and shouting. I know. And they're all trying to rescue Bobby from overdosing, and they all bundle in the bathroom, and while she can fuck some guy and look at, they have to look after the baby. And it's like, fuck. oh, the, just everyone's so fucking shouting. I know. This is it's... so appalling. <laughs> it's such it's a worst. stressful film. Yeah. Um, fuck. And yeah, they're trying to get him to throw up, and he's like shoving his fingers down his throat, and I'm like, fucking hell. Yeah, but I think um, one of the oh, excuse me. <coughs> so you know, this film has a, a myriad of like uncomfortable or awful things happen, but um, yeah, I don't mind staying with the people. I think it's I think the natural, like you say, semi-documentary style to it. I wouldn't say doc- not documentary, but like yeah, fly. It's like a bit fly on the wall. Like mm-hmm. you, you're just gonna. It's like you're the anonymous person sitting with some people well, around the place. Not too. Uh... Not to turn this into an exorcist episode, um, but with like the Kitty Wynn connection, it does one of the reasons why I like that film so much is that it is dealing with something that's, you know, very like outlandish and supernatural or whatever, but it's filmed very similarly and it's part of what makes it resonate so much is that the scenes in between all of the supernatural stuff. Um, particularly like all of the medical scenes and scenes in hospitals or whenever Karis's mother's in the uh, in the hospital with all the other old people or whenever Reagan has that horrible uh, like spinal tap procedure done. Oh. Um, you know, again, fucking needles and veins. But um, it's that style mixing with something very like heightened that makes it so effective. And I, I generally find this kind of style of film very um engaging I don't it's so it's so it's it's because it's because, to it. because everyone's done a very realistic job it's 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 shot mm-hmm. in a way to sort of just let you like you can feel it character watch yeah and then um people smell are coming and going in this film <laughs> <laughs> definitely it's not a good smell no smell of uh you know terrible flats and the pavement and just uh, courts that need washing. Um... But yeah, you, you were just saying about all the characters coming and going. I think that's one of the, the strong points of the film is that you mm. have all of these kind of characters who are mostly um, drug addicts themselves. And you, know, you you catch names here and there, but you, know, you, you forget who's who and you only really see brief glimpses of them. You don't, and they you don't dress differently in. for, you know, they look different sometimes to each other. You know, you don't know if you've yeah. seen them before or not, and it's you know it's it's quite confusing. But then I, I I like that because that that's what you feel like this life would be like. 
Yeah, you know, you yeah. It'd be weird if they introduced them like a new character, like it's friends, and you get to hear their name, <laughs> and they do yeah. a bit, and you understand who they are. Yeah. So yeah, it just kind of leads into to informing you more about that lifestyle, where you you know you you are friends, you know all these people, but you're not necessarily you don't know them, and they're not friends. They're just people who can also maybe get you heroin. Yeah, there's every every conversation in the in the film between all of the, the junkies in Needle Park is usually hello, have you got anything? <laughs> yeah. Or hello, you've scored, haven't you? Great. Let's let's fucking sort that out. Or one then, of stolen. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, um, let's just talk about drugs. That's the annoying thing about people who use drugs. Even in, I, I tend to mix it. The people I've mixed with who do drugs tend to be a little bit less serious addicts. And so, but they're all the conversations, drunk and people who do drugs regularly, is it's just that boring conversation about drugs and stuff. Like people just talk about it all the time if it's if it's their thing. And in this it's just like every conversation is basically about it. But for them it's because it's you either are regaling a story of how how you scored or you were looking to <laughs> anyway. Or is you're that... you have scored and therefore you sort of passed that passed out and all wacky anyway. Is that really that much more different or aggravating than the way I talk about Twin Peaks? <laughs> um, you don't usually go all right, and then like so. Let's talk about Twin Peaks again. No, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel I, I mean now if you if you're trying to come out as just really every conversation I have, I want to eventually be about how I love David Lynch and want to have his babies. Yes, have you right, not? Well... No, hold on. I don't want him to have. I don't want to have his babies. I want him to be my granddad. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> Tedium comes in many forms, so I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna judge. <laughs> you know, like this film is concerned with uh just you know, being a wind a very dirty, scuffed up, horrible window into a world. Uh and you know, it's essentially less about Al Pacino playing Bobby and more about uh Helen, this woman who's been in hospital had a horrible little operation, and then Al Pacino's just basically had got a sniff of her. But not, not yeah. like he is at Raul Julia's house when she's there, and then is aware that she's in hospital and just turn, has found her and blagged his way in and does that cheeky chappy thing with the nurse, uh, basically just lies to her and yeah. speaks around and so, then gets charmingly booted out while, uh, you know, trying to continue to lie and be charming and dance with her. And, you know, there's a whole thing to suggest Al Pacino's this, like, you know, he's charming and and playful, playful, and you know he's taking an interest in her, and then maybe, and then she's at a very low point in her life, and then that's enough for her to like cling on to him and go with him, and then basically settle into a relationship with him, despite her, you know, her not being a drug addict and him claiming to only be, yeah, you know, doing it for a little bit, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's what's the term he uses? Mm, he's skimming a, or like. Some word I can't remember what they. Yeah, do. but yeah, he's basically saying Kipping like oh, or it, something. I don't know. Yeah, basically saying he only does a little bit. He does. He's not like addicted. Yeah, but, like like, like yeah. a glass of wine in the evening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> glass of heroin. Yeah. Um, but no, one of the things that I again like might not be the right word, but one of the things that is effective about the film is 
he doesn't even though he you know he obviously comes across as like he's kind of a dickhead um he's he's a thief um but his affection for her is genuine and i do feel like they're what part of what makes the film effective and also very sad is that their relationship is like it's never not like it's never not real it's tumultuous but it it never becomes explicitly her exploiting her yeah he doesn't pick her up so that he can turn her into a prostitute and use her to pay for drugs like it's not and that isn't that his group of friends asking questions as if that is a possibility yes <laughs> like that's very um, much junkies are like yeah well the reason i've got a girlfriend is so i can have yeah. someone to pay for my drugs please um and one of the one of the early parts of um the story that that does a like it really establishes that like he's not that much of a scumbag like he's not at the absolute bottom is the bit where she sleeps like um he lets her sleep at his place and she offers um he's like uh, she's like hey, you want a shag and he's like nah not let's let's wait you know until we know each other basically until we know each other a bit better so like well some of the time he can't have sex because he's so fucked yeah, as well i mean that's later on but um no i mean like initially she's like she's offering immediately and he well he, he did steal a tv for her didn't he i mean i mean he's given her the sign he's interested i don't steal yeah. a tv for just tvs for just anyone she, oh. He didn't just steal a TV. He st- he stole a seventies CRT TV, and I was very impressed at how he was able to lift that off a truck and then haggle um, it up for twenty dollars to the woman yeah, in the pawn shop. Pretty good, but just fucking carry it because I don't tiny. know if you remember I'll how heavy a, a CRT TV oh, was. Yeah. I wasn't around in the seventies, so yeah. There's definitely uh, a sense like, okay, is he? What is his interest? And it's obviously. Um, you know, he's a, a warm-blooded male, he- uh, heteronormative, uh, cis, white, uh, you know, etc. Like, he's a chap, so he's got one thing on his mind. But Al Pacino's, you know, got two things. He's got heroin and women on his mind. <laughs> and hanging out and eating the odd fry. <laughs> and giving her a hard yeah. time about not eating. And it's like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> like uh, those, those chips look really good. <laughs> Fries, Jamie. They didn't look that good, did they? I like I like skinnier uh, fries. I'm not a I'm not a fat chip lad. Fat chip lad. Fat chip lad. <laughs> I knew a guy called Michael Chip. His surname wasn't Chip. He was called Michael Chip because he always went to the chip shop to get. Yeah, chips. there you go. That's a proud Welsh tradition. <laughs> Isn't that just pretty much everyone in Hog? <laughs> It's such a funny yeah. name, though, like Michael Chip, isn't it? Not Chips, <laughs> Michael Chip. I saw, just, I saw, just singular Chip. His name was graffitied in an under uh, underpass, and what it, said, <laughs> it was said was, Michael Chip is a chip. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think add, adds, that adds an ambiguity now. Is he an actual potato chip? Like, what were we... Yeah. Oh, the... <laughs> Having to explain to Americans the 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 Welsh convention of of naming someone after a thing they do, or well, are, or like it's not complicated. What are you in essence to me? That's who you are. Now. <laughs> you know, you're either like Vince the shop or you know, <laughs> Vince the shop. Uh, you know, um, 
I'm trying to th- avoid real people's names. Yeah, I know. I, I thought of a few, and I was like, I, I shouldn't out people and uh, mm. weird nicknames. We can bring up minor celebrity John Radio. Because he cracked John Radio because he walked around our town carrying the radio. Yeah. Oh, God. Had a, had a bent fag in his mouth most of the time. And uh, I heard as well that he rented that radio from like a uh, Southern Fried Chicken shop. It's like what? the. the That's the not shit real. <laughs> Welsh equivalent of Rahim. It's what? The Welsh equivalent of Radio Rahim. Oh, right. It's just, they cut out on you. You mean like the guy from uh, oh, the pizza the window right smash thing. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. See, we would have called him. <laughs> yeah, the pizza him, smash film. We would have called him window <laughs> smash, uh, whatever his name is, isn't it? What, what is his name? Yeah. Raheem, right? No, that Raheem's Raheem the guy Windows. who was. No, he'd be stereo because. Is he. No, shit. Who broke the window? That was um, Spike Lee's character, right? Yeah, yeah. So he'd Why are we be... talking about this? <laughs> Radio Rashim is like a Welsh nickname, right? Because he carried a stereo around with him. Yeah, but it'd be the other way around. It'd be his first name first, and then the radio, like John Radio. Yeah. Is this the most niche tangent we've ever been on? <laughs> this is <laughs> so specific. <laughs> anyway, who, who who are we talking about? TV uh, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby TV? Yeah. Right, Bobby. T- I also had a friend called Lee Bonnet because he once fell asleep on a bonnet of a car, <laughs> and I honestly don't know his surname. He's Lee Bonnet to me, and it sounds almost like a, <laughs> uh, a surname, you know. Lee Bonnet. This is an and I, excellent I, episode. Be, being uh, also the, the, a friend of his uh, was called Toddler because he was old. He was a lot older than a lot of us. He was a, like I think he was. Uh, it was some of the, my people I knew's uncle, but even though he was like two years older than him, but he had short curly hair and was quite baby faced, so he's called Toddler. <laughs> Hon- honestly, don't know his real name. Maybe <laughs> I f- I could guess, but it would be pointless. <laughs> Just Toddler and Bonnet. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, these guys didn't have nicknames. Boring. <laughs> what the, Al, Al Pacino? His life, he's, he he brags about having enough money to like take care of uh, Helen. So he has like a part. He doesn't live anywhere. One he does live somewhere, but he seems to suggest he can live a few places. And I yeah, guess it's I that. Mean, is it like a, is yeah, it just junkies who all know each other are like, well, wherever we can hang out is we can all be wherever because we got better things to do than I think that's than make yeah. sticky notes to go in fridges for <laughs> my 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 soy milk. Do not eat. Uh, you know. Yeah, they, it's very much like they all just sort of live in each other's various places they're able to pay for from, you know, one, I guess, one week or one month to the next. Because they, the, they lose the apartment for a bit, don't they? Because uh, they haven't got money to pay for the yeah. rent, right? That's Yeah, and that that's kind of when the cracks start to show because it's like he has more of a habit than he wants to admit. He's running out of money, and then it's the suggestion that she could maybe do some things to earn some money begins to flow. Yeah, because he's not quite um, a—he's not quite a drug dealer. He sometimes scores and can sell it, but like he, you know, he—he's a kind of do crime to get by kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his brother is more of a criminal than he more is. More of a career, because he, he, yeah. he, he, he introduces him as he's a burglar or something. Yeah. 
and he's like trying to he like gives him ten dollars, which I guess is a lot in the seventies, but you are have ten dollars. I've been burglaring burgling pretty well this week. Um I really like the way um Bobby talks to people in like whenever he's like up and on a in a good mood and stuff isn't grim. Like it just his really like it it makes me think of uh, Paul Whitehouse's that one character he did in uh, the Fast Show. A little bit woo, a little bit wee. Yeah, you it's can't trust me, mate. Person. I'll dick your bags. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's a cheeky lad, but you he also like, like he's very charismatic and like I, he's one of those people who like he fucks people over, but uh, like uh, well, not until the everyone... end of the film. Yeah, but like he he fucks people over in the in the same way that that character from the fast show does. Was like I got through, and I that's who I am. Yeah, that's what junkies do. Like, and, like everyone, and everyone knows enough. not to everyone knows not to trust each other fully. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's a testament to kind of Al Pacino's like you know natural charisma that he um, really built his career on is that he can come across in that way that like oh he's a bit of he's a bit of a dickhead but oh, he's he's a boy isn't he yes and i'm gonna push back a little bit that he's charming because he's kind of the sort of person i hate all the time he, he, it's remarkable <laughs> that Pacino does make it work because there's one scene where he's like he sees a friend of his going by and he's in like a restaurant in a, fr- a fry. Bangs is shouting his, his, his brother's passing by and he's banging yeah, yeah. and shouting his name. And then then when he gets up and runs out, he knocks over uh one of the waiters or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, What's and then this he's guy? like like he's sort of mockingly making like he's sort of jokingly criticizing <laughs> the guy for bumping into him and then running down the street like, Oh, you're a fucking liability. I hate people like you. <laughs> Just uh, like and then all of his friends who they all see, they get on. We go. None of these people are like <laughs> any fun, are they? Like there the are people. This isn't friendships out of fun or their good time. This is friendships out of a common interest. Yeah, and that interest is getting fucked and mashed out of your mind. Um, because they're all just like horrible, scabby looking. Well, just just scruffy down and outs, and uh, you know. It, it, but Al Pacino throughout is like, "Are oh, you Bellend? This is so <laughs> annoying." <laughs> Yeah, Do you know uh, what part of it is? Um, it's this. Chewing gum. Yeah, loudly chewing gum with his mouth wide open. Well, I'm not a, a geography teacher, so that didn't bother me that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason it bothered me is because I chew a lot of gum just out of habit, because otherwise I'll fucking bite my nails or something. Um, and whenever I see something like this, where a character is like loudly chewing gum with their mouth open I start fucking doing it and I have to catch myself <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why it like gets into my head like that and then subconsciously starts like making me do it but I have to keep being like fucking sh- sh- shut your mouth when you chew uh, god talk about fucking people being all the shit about people being influenced by violent movies or video games or whatever fucking basic manners is my problem <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's. Be- <laughs> uh, what about you, Anthony? Did you? Uh, how do you feel about these characters? Um, you you said you're on the fence about the film, obviously, because it's so bleak. Uh, do you find uh, Al Pacino's charm overcomes, or do the are these? Is this like portrait of the most infuriating people? Well, like I I I say I'm in two minds because it's it's the 
it's the it's it's the age old. I I respect what the film is doing, mm-hmm. but I can't say I've had a good time watching it. But then I can also say like I don't think I'm supposed to have a good time watching it. Yeah, kind of thing. Although related to what you're saying, like my my, my main kind of mixed problem was after a while I stopped caring. You know. Maybe there's a building up of monotony as well because they it's it's yeah it, it it jumps their lives. We don't really know how much time's passing, and it does these it quite quite imaginative cuts where there's one there's one particular good one. So we see a bit of them like oh they're in bed and they're sort of fooling around and having fun in a nice wholesome way, and then they're in bed other times and it's like sad and or one of yeah. them's like Bobby's gone early and he's obviously gone to school but and left her and like it's sort of. Like oh, this habit of his is a liability. He's not like you know, um, he's not reliable. She never quite knows if he's disappeared or in danger. And then he, you know, he's asking favors of her to go and score drugs and things, and it, it like yeah. it, it escalates. But uh, we have quite a funny cut where, uh, well, Hank has has got a burglary coming up, and he wants Bobby to join him and they, like unload a bunch of I don't know if they're stereos, just electrical you know, goods out of the back of a shop that he's broken into. He's going to pull up a van and they do a cut where uh, Hank has like seen the police are coming and, and pulls away and then Al Pacino's inside ready to load the boxes and he's just calling out his brother's name quietly and he's, you know, his brother said, don't open the door unless it's me and he's like, oh, Hank, Hank. And then they cut straight to him having a fun time in the showers in prison. <laughs> yeah. It is it's, one it's of really the... funny and weird. One of the things that I did like about the film um and i can say like like comfortably because it's not particularly grim is the way it would put you in character situations where like somebody's gone and you don't know where like the um uh the the bit that leads up to discovering that bobby has od'd um is a sequence of Helen waking up, and yeah, he's he's not, or he's yeah, not where he's supposed to be, and she, she has to go to the usual spots and ask people, and they're yeah. kind of unhelpful, or. You but know, there's whatever. no, yeah, there's no like, there's no build-up scene beforehand. Like you don't see him going to the place where he's going to go, and we don't know. Just like, she, yeah, we don't know. Like she doesn't know. Yeah. And the film does that a few times where it just sort of drops you in the situation in the same way that you would if someone that you're like around or close to all the time is just like suddenly gone and you don't know where the fuck they went. And then, yeah, yeah it's very that... effective for creating a sense of panic and also, uh, like to understand how you know inconsistent life can be like that, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like it, it is, um. And then when it when it you find the mystery is solved, it's sort of a pain in the ass and something awful to deal with, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. But I, I just thought it was really funny. Like sometimes the editing would be like all of his times. In, like, he brags about having been to jail loads of times and stuff. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't impress her. I don't know if he was trying, but like he, I guess he's trying to say, look, I'm a, I'm a man about town. I fucking I'm pre- even though I'm a little small guy with a terrible bandana sometimes. It is, oh yeah, it is it, like as a as a fairly short man, it is always just funny to me to see how short Al Pacino also is. I don't know why. It's I think it's because he's so big as a like personality. Like he's really good at 
Like he just he has a lot of presence, and it's all just contained in this little package. Yeah, even his like jacket's too big for him, and he's got this yeah. lame. I guess he has a bandana to look shitter, and like he washes dishes, but <laughs> also to like fool around with. But you know, more importantly, to wrap around your arm to do heroin. Yeah, um, I feel like uh, he. Like not Bob, like Al Pacino generally is. He's almost like the opposite of Tom Cruise in that, like he doesn't try and hide how short he is. Like yeah. he, he often uses that in his performances. Yeah, so he goes off like a little firecracker, whether it's yeah. uh, aggression or like humor. Yes. Mm. Speaking of the the scenes in this film where he's angry, um, or where they fight, are. Probably, other than the needle scenes, are probably the most difficult to watch because they are very real. But they they also don't go like you know like an abusive relationship. There's a domineering man usually who does the same thing at time and time again, which is what Bobby Bobby is like that a bit. But it's the sad way in which they escalate, they shout, and it's uncomfortable, and like people are cowering in bathrooms. But then. It simmers down like all yeah, he, terrible yeah, yeah. relationship arguments do, and you, you just what are you going to do? Keep keep it up. Like he doesn't. He's not like he's not like a pimp or anything. Yeah, he's you know he does. He she does eventually start prostituting mostly because he do, he's in jail for a bit. Like you know, yeah, so she needs money. But it's that awful like you cry, and then I guess you get over it, and then it'll happen yeah. again some other time because some other situation oh, the, will the happen. Bit after that, when because he gets out of prison. And finds out that she's been prostituting herself to get money, and that she also he... slept with Hank. Well, she right? doesn't. She tells him that after they have had like makeup sex, and then his <laughs> his reaction is so like it's such a like realistic reaction. If he just puts his hands on his face, he's like, "Oh, why did you tell me that?" You shouldn't have told me that. Like, it's such a fucking... He's, like, it's... He's so genuinely upset. And, like, uh, it's so fucking exhaustingly bleak at that point. <laughs> like, their actual fights and their, like, relationship, like, going up and down is... Like, the drug stuff is difficult to watch, but you have... Like, there's a separation from it. Like, I've... I, I don't know that life. Um... So I can sort of step back, other than my like being grossed out by needles going into veins, you know, and and understanding that their lives are bleak, you know. There's a there's a separation there for me a little bit, but that like horrible relationship kind of situation that's a lot more relatable. Whether it's like being in that situation yourself, but also, um, I mean, your wife's always sleeping with your. Brother, so <laughs> she's always beating the shell. I don't even have a brother. Um, oh well, uh, no, that's a new me. revelation. Yes, just slapping the shit out of me. Um, no, but like, um, you know, either from be like, I think most people have been in some kind of toxic relationship at some point, and not necessarily yeah, a romantic for relationship either. If you, I'm if, sure... you can't, if you can't think of one, you're the toxic one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it, not necessarily romantic relationships, like any, like just a, a friendship that isn't oh, yeah. very good for you, kind of thing. Um, but also knowing someone who's in an abusive relationship who won't fucking leave. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, that was that. I felt like that watching this film because I've known people who've been, yeah. you know, in a relationship where they're being abused and they're always like, "Oh no, I'm going to leave. This is it. You know, last straw. I'm going to leave." And then they fucking go back, and you're like, "I, I told you, I t- how I how many <laughs> times 
and it's just and that, this film is just doing it over and over again and it, uh, uh, oh god it yeah they just, they show you they show you that helen obviously without saying it has a self well she has self esteem issues clearly and uh, a sort of I think Al Pacino questions why did she leave her hometown? Everyone leaves if you know there must be a reason, yeah. and she doesn't really have an answer. It's just like it, it's sort yeah, of like it, you know the... you're, you're bored of where, where you're from. It's, to her, hanging out with a hanging out with a bunch of junkies in New York is sort of interesting and and better than whatever boring thing was going on in her life. Yeah, I mean there was there was especially like post like beatnik movement. You know, I, there there was. I guess there may still maybe still is a sort of weird romanticism about that kind of life. Um, this film is very much one of those films that strips that away completely. Um, but it is for her. She is. She doesn't have a very high value of herself. Yes. She. She getting any affection is like, the fact that Bobby's nice to her is enough yeah. for her to be loyal to him to the yeah. point where her loyalty is. It's shaken by uh, you know the fact that they they're going down this route where things are getting worse. She's turning to prostitution. The police, the Hutch guy, we should also should mention that she has now become addicted to heroin as well, and she started like stealing his, which also then becomes a problem between them. Well, yeah, it's it, it's such a uh, it's an interesting one because she tries waitressing, and it seems to last oh. one shift of people being a bit crappy with you, and it's like oh, fair play though. <laughs> they were they were knobheads like they were like the few people who were like really impatient with her. Oh, I mean, that's I, really I, bitchy gay guys. That's not the like arguing about the donut they ordered and like oh just <laughs> fuck off. I mean, but it's not like uh, you won't make a waitress if you can't cope with a bit of dick. They are dickhead now and again. No, you shouldn't fucking have to cope with it. We've all worked in customer service. It's fucking horrendous. You know. The, the the trick is to not turn to heroin after after you quit yes. your job. Her- heroin and prostitution are not necessarily the first answer to no. working in customer service is horrible. Maybe try dishwashing instead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she does. She she tries waitressing because they they're low on funds, and then it becomes she becomes an addict in response to like fuck these guys and their fucking donuts. Well, <laughs> I, th- I also think it's from being around Bobby and all of these people. Yeah, I no, of course. Think... It's like it's like one big anti... It's like, this is how becoming a junkie happens. This yeah. is what it's like. This is the story that gets... that. This is the same story in every, like, uh, recovery clinic. People have told these stories and how it starts and how it... It's this gradual thing and you think... You sort of lie to yourself. Both characters are lying to themselves about... Yeah. How bad things are! Like there's like out of nowhere, Al Pacino's like we should get married. They have aspirations. Like even the brother laughs at the fact that they only have eighty dollars. Like they're gonna get married yeah. and stuff. So I think um, the film has got all these examples of how this world works, and it's very like yeah, like you said, it's it's true to life. Even if you haven't been through what they've been through, it, it we've all we can relate to similar situations isn't it there's, yeah there's there's multiple different aspects to it that there is something there that you can relate to um one of the things as well that is i think is very and it's i like how underplayed it is um i like a lot of stuff in this film is kind of underplayed but the fact that you know part of the reason she attaches to bobby so strongly i think is he's very very like forthright in his interest um with her whereas 
at the beginning of the film when she's with Marco, he's generally very kind of dismissive. Like she's just sort of well, he's there. flaky and unreliable, like like all artists, as they say. Like yeah. he just pisses off, and you don't know why. Yeah. And um, whenever she goes back to him again, as well, like he's very kind of dismissive of everything that's happened to her and it's not necessarily that he's like bad or anything but like yeah he's an artist and it looks like that's like what he does he's very much in his own world kind of thing yeah and al pacino's you know playing bobby whenever there's an argument they're on the same page she gets she gets him like she understands she she's not that bothered by his drug use like she it's an eye-opener and uh but she's like a good girlfriend for him uh, and sort of, and once she's an addict, they're like, "Well, we're both on the same page. We know the feeling." There's a there's a sort of shorthand of like, "Okay, you're going to get over the fact that I'm a prostitute because heroin means the most to us. We need heroin. You're going to square away. I'm a prostitute. You're not going to love it. And occasionally, we can just is it? It's a guy who looks. Oh, Abby thought looked like Bud Bud Court, who they rip off as like a young man. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was him though. No. no, I thought he looked like Paul Dano. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Out of time, but he just yeah. like I love the way they have they've had sex and he's like scrawny and that uh, he just he just is. I'm I'm going to light up a cigarette because uh, I understand that's how a men do things. <laughs> that then... scene for a film that is like so grim, it was really nice to have a scene that just has some like genuine comedy to it. Yeah. And the like way this... that, like, if Al Pacino can just come in a room and, like, mug you and, like, you were sleeping with my wife. And he's like, oh, oh please, sir. <laughs> like, yeah. you can't. You just, uh, like, like, come on. Like, you could just, he's, like, the size of a Again, bean, Al tiny Pacino. man, but frightening. <laughs> don't, don't touch me. I'll get syphilis or something off of you. Go away. It's the, it's the fucking Joe Pesci thing, isn't it? Yeah, flick knife could be hidden anywhere as well. Like uh, you know, plenty of baggy I don't sleeve. Even know if he would need it, he would just pull your fucking head off. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd be intimidated by fucking Tony Montana says something to you. Like, oh, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, don't worry oh. about it. <laughs> I don't want to um, say hello to any of your little friends, buddy. Uh, <laughs> no, that. Uh, yeah, that scene with that guy. The the her asking if it's his first time. He's like, no. Did it seem like it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. Because the other thing is, it, it's to, to normal people seeing this, it might be relatable, but it is bleak. But you're, you're like people's lives. Like it's not, it's not, it's not an endless tragedy. You are sort of having a laugh with your mates from time to time. They do put in there. People like Al Pacino when he's around and and in Needle Park, he seems like he knows everyone. He yeah. knows that they'll rob him if they need a fix. <laughs> he says he says it, but he like we're all fucking we we all understand how this works, and we all are just hanging out. This is we enjoy this life, and now that we're in it so deep, there's no choice. There's no getting out of it. It's just like either you end up in prison or and then sometimes you could score better in prison. I don't know. Like there's a slightly trailer park boys mentality of it's quite prison time goes by in the editing of this prison doesn't seem to last that long. I think we see one, you know, phone sad phone call through the glass, you know. Yeah. And then it's back. It is back out. Did you have fun on today? Soaked up boys having a laugh. (laughs) I I noticed this is something. It was so (laughs) sudden, wasn't it? It Went from like hello to oh hello. But then it cuts, you know, it's it's just, I think, efficiently trying to get through their lives a little bit to show us uh, 
further down the story that we go, the more like the more things they have to yeah. start doing, and the sadder it gets, and the harder it becomes for each other. And as like as an editing thing, it it works. It kind of there there are moments where, you know, it's 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 long drawn out, not drawn out, but a long conversation in a cafe, and you know, it's going on. Uh, in a certain time frame, and then the editing does help keep you on your toes, kind of thing. Keep you conf- not, yeah. not confused, but uh, disorientated a little. But it's it also helps to it gives you the benefit of the doubt. You go, you get the you know what happened in that scene. We're going to film Al Pacino slowly yeah. being arrested, running away, getting caught, being booked in. We don't need that. All we need is fingerprints being done of say Helen gets arrested, and then that like the story becomes about Hutch, the blonde. There's a lot of like normal looking seventies cops. Then there's this handsome blonde cop <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah. who drives around in like fucking the love bug, but cracked up and terrible looking. Uh, he's in like his little car and he's manages. Also, he's one of those people who I can't tell if he's twenty or forty. <laughs> he looks yeah because he's like a you know he's obviously some sort of police detective on Vice, but he must be fairly low down if he's busting like uh, junkies. I get the idea is you 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 know that he he's there to show the police will crack down on you and intercept what they can in order to flip you and have you rat out someone higher up the chain, isn't it? Yeah. There's like. Their job is to get better and better convictions, I suppose, of high, more high-profile people in the drug dealing chain, and so the, we see that play out in this film. Yeah, I like the way that the film uses him explaining that stuff to Helen as a way to explain it to the audience as well. Like yeah, saying yeah. things like, "You never, um, whenever she, whenever he starts kind of uh, needling her, her for mm. um, <laughs> uh, to to like turn on Bobby." Um, and she starts like she offers someone else, and he's talking. To, he says like, "No, you don't wrap down. You wrap up." Because she's offering someone who's like lower down the totem pole. Because when Bobby gets out of prison, he's like higher up because. Of... Well, he's he's secured a, a better like he can become a bigger dealer. He's got he's got access to a higher. Yeah, quantity, Santos isn't it? is that the guy? The guy who's like making all of it. Yeah. Okay. Is it... yeah. It's a really good scene, actually, where he goes yeah. to some flat where we see what is now the classic. We've all, you know, it's seen in every drug TV show and film where yeah. it's a room full of people with masks on, uh, in uh, like less clothes, cutting and processing uh, the heroin, I guess. And, and you know, it's like the the guards and maybe someone, some managerial person, and Al Pacino's like allowed to slide in through a barely open door, yeah. and wait for to get his uh, quantity, and then his eyes are like the widest we've seen them because it's a junkie in a room full of heroin. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, yeah. But it was... it's also like a good instructional it's for the audience. We like this is he's watching it happen and and maybe even having machinations of I could rip this off or something but also just yeah. the, we get to see the process that we I guess in 1971 not many people are seeing behind they're not seeing into this world it wasn't as common to see yeah, that, this part that of it scene um, I think the guy like the business suit kind of guy that's Santos I think like that's the guy that the cops are after um, yeah, and this is like them kind of you know getting Bobby as them working their way up the chain. But again, the the film never really shows you that stuff because it's not interested in it. But this this scene is a really good example of how well the film uses like diegetic sound. 
Um, oh, because it's the most silent, isn't it? Yeah, While he's it is, waiting, we just get... get the sound of everyone scraping and yeah, all the, yeah, the credit cards that they—is it credit cards they use to no, playing, the playing cards? cards? Playing cards, yeah, uh, yeah, them like scraping on the surfaces that like horrible yeah. sound, but also yeah, just there's a tremendous amount of uh, like uh, oral <laughs> a u. R-A-L. Yeah, all right, mate. Shirt. You keep amusing yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there's a lot of, um, I'll say, sonic texture to the to the film. Um, and all of it, as far as I remember, is, like, in, like, is diegetics, in-world sound. There's no, yeah. like, nothing, it, no, nothing, with as well as not having any music, there's no sounds that aren't what's happening in the scene. Um, and I think it does a really good job of like elevating the right ones. Like I mentioned earlier, the sound of the the plunges in the needles is really like forward yeah. on uh, in the audio, and it's a really un- a lot of the sounds are really unpleasant, um, but very. Well, that's just Al Pacino talking. <laughs> no, no, it, this I, is a, this well, is a prime yeah. example of like use of sound because all of the sound goes out apart from as you say the ones we've described and it really it creates a tension in the room because it's like we cut between Al Pacino looking all the people in there slightly you know they're just doing a monotonous job aren't they and then the guards who are sort of there to like you know make sure no one busts in and steals or arrests them and can put up a yeah. fight so there's a sense of this is a dangerous room but it's a room of privilege as well yeah and uh, you know, there's like a the quietness of a church <laughs> to it that works really effectively. There's um, a couple of instances as well. You mentioned one earlier when Bobby's ODing, but there's one. There's a, a slightly more subtle one um, where um, there's a baby crying, um, and again, it like it is generally just an unpleasant sound that like in like it instinctively like gets your back up. Yeah. So it it puts you in a state of like unease and and uh, alertness, and it sort of feeds into that overall kind of grim tragedy of it because you're like, well, there's a baby crying somewhere in this flat full of in this block full of people who are doing heroin, and nobody like, cares about this child. Is this the is... baby just abandoned? Like what? Yeah, what's happening in the background here? Um, it's when uh, Helen goes to meet that guy who ultimately yeah. gets arrested, and you can yeah, you can just hear a baby crying, um, and then yeah, later on in the in the OD scene, it's there, and it it's just sort of amps up how chaotic and and infuriating that scene already is. And indeed, probably New York is probably a noisy, infuriating place to live. Yeah, that's, you know, that's even if you're just that... going to buy kombucha or to the bodega or something, it's still like yeah. you walk just... through about a million sounds everywhere. Horns beeping and and I'm walking years. And... I think I think Al Pacino does a bit of shouting at someone in a car as well. You can't have a New York movie without someone shouting at someone in in a car in the street when it's probably yep. everyone's fault. Dustin Hoffman, uh, Al Pacino, Raphael, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, this is even though that film does have obviously a very kind of iconic score. Um, there is a lot of similarity here with Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. A, a Midnight Cowboy being like I have expectations of going to make it big in the city. Yeah, and then a woman who's just there as a kind of alternate to what her life was going to be, and then it's like, oh, it's actually much sadder. 
Yeah. There's, fr- there's friendship there, but it's a sad friendship. A friendship of convenience and and the descent. people decline, yeah. People's claws getting worse and more worn out and more desperate. But staying together... Hmm. Uh, one thing I like about this film is it doesn't end with... I mean, we have a dog death, but it doesn't end with the un- one of them overdosed or killed the other one or they all died trying to do... Like, it was... It, it had the balls to say, look, we're going to have Helen eventually. And very, it takes a long time for Helen to flip on Bobby. Yeah. She's reluctant and she's always pestering her, like, you got to, otherwise you're going to jail. And she does, and she's become, like, sad and jaded and started wearing more black and her clothes are looking worn out and her hair's more worn out. And she's just sort of slumped there, accepting that she has to eventually betray him. Yeah. And when she does, and he does go to prison... She's there for him when he comes out. We do a nice quick yes. cut at the end. And she's there like he was there for her when she came out of hospital. And he's not, he's like annoyed, but like he's not going to come and tear her hair, head off. And she's a junkie as well now. So, you know, this is possibly there to preserve herself as well. It's like, this is not just I love him, but I can score well, better with him. We're together. We are more effective, a uh, heroin yeah. fetching team. But it's... she's there and he eventually accepts. It's like, well, on then, well, yeah, that's it, all we um, get. To, they they stay alive and and survive and don't split up. There's no, there's never a point where it, it takes the cheap option and goes. And heroin killed them both, or they yeah. both went to jail forever, and it was the worst thing that ever happened. You know, this is a this is another one of the big kind of bullet points I had for this that stood out to me is, as far as I know, or as far as I can remember, other than the puppy, um, nobody dies in the film. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of time for some of them, perhaps. I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there is that one guy who I thought was going to die. Um, I don't remember what his, the character's name is, but he's... When Horrible he's intro- green trilby guy or someone else? No, no, no. no. Terrible hair um, guy. The, I think he's like the only black guy in their group, and he's very sick. <laughs> um, oh, he doesn't talk the, much, yeah. Yeah, he, I don't think he talks at all. He just kind of sits there going... <laughs> like, um, But he's introduced as sick, and then he just gets sicker throughout the film but mm. he, I don't think he ever dies like he's just sick and getting worse and that's it but yeah I sort of admire the film for not killing anyone off and not ending it in that way because like you yeah. said like a bit too too obvious really yeah uh, I guess like how it wrapped up do you like how we went from uh, Helen being hassled to flip on Bobby, who's now a bigger-time guy, to... like They slightly drag it out. Did you feel a sense of relief of, at least, this bleakness is over? Did you like the ending? Did you think there was more story to tell afterwards, or or what? I don't think there was more story to tell. Like, I, I felt... There was there was a point where it's like, I, I, I know how the rest of this is going to play out. She's, she is going to, you know, at some yeah. point, end up turning him in and uh, you know, maybe leave it there with the hope that maybe she'll move on, or they both move on, or something. So you know, he, 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 Bobby early on in their relationships even like uh, gives her outs, you know, like where well, you don't want to be a part of this, and she's like, "No, nah, I, I like you. <laughs> Let's keep going." Hmm. But sorry, but but this when they're fully in, you're saying sorry. Yeah, but it was a bit of like a gut punch. The ending. Where mm-hmm. it's like it's it's pretty much making it clear that you know this cycle will just repeat and repeat. 
Yeah. Also, you know, when Pacino is busted by the cops, he, he's pulled out and then sees her and it's like, you can't! Who's yeah. going to marry you? <laughs> it's like a proper deep, loud cunt as well. Yeah, hearing Al Pacino loudly shout and angrily shout cunt was... Not, I, I don't know why, but I was I was almost, like, shocked. Like, I almost clutched my pearls when I heard it. <laughs> I guess because he's so, like, he says it with such venom. Yeah. Which I guess gives you like more of a question mark when he's out of prison and he sees her. Will he, like, what, what, what is his reaction going to be? Is she now a heroin addict and left on her own and, and discarded like garbage because she, she betrayed him? Or no, I, I, my reading. No, no, I, the, no. I think that was the potential of what could have happened, oh, and yeah. then he slowly is like, oh, yeah, obviously, Come on. yeah. Let's be like it's time has passed, and what what are we gonna do? But what's the point of arguing about it? Like it doesn't. What will it change? You're here. Fine, I'm over it. Like that's the. It leaves us with like back back to it, isn't it? Back to where we we where we were at. <laughs> like it hasn't been yeah. this explosive end. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that works, Anthony? Is that... Yeah, I, I think it works. Like uh, it, it feels more true. Yeah, you know, like you know, people who find themselves in this situation, you know, do find themselves stuck in it. There's no kind of like you know dramatic happy ending. Yeah, for you, anyone, can, you, really. you, you can get over almost anything. You can have pride or jealousy, or but then at the end, nothing makes you raise a focus like an addiction to heroin. It's like, well, turns out I can live without this stuff, and it turns out I can forgive a lot. <laughs> The priority numero uno is we will have to score again. What is my what is in my best interest? And it's not falling out with my girlfriend who betrayed me. She's back. That's fine. Let's the you know this keeps going. Um, I think I think an interesting scene before all this as well is there's a moment where her she's become an addict and her parents are coming. She's going to see some of her family or something. Uh, or she's supposed to meet them, and that even Bobby thinks that's going to happen. She puts a little bow in her hair that uh, when I was watching it with that Abby, she was like, that looks terrible. Like the little <laughs> like it looks yeah. really stupid putting a white bow in her hair, like <laughs> like a little child. And then trying to cover makeup put makeup over her track marks in her arm. Ugh, yeah. And then she doesn't go. She what does she do instead of like she Well this was That's... one of the this was one of the things that I got confused by and I still don't quite understand what happened because she pretends to go yeah, and ends up going and like do, doing a doing a prostitution. I'm not sure what the like. Oh, this is how she's gone to fuck the scrawny guy, right? Yeah, but then Al, Al Pacino's really angry when he finds out that she didn't go to meet her family and instead went and did this thing. But then when he turns up, it's like he's in on it. I didn't. Understand oh, I think he. What... I think he is like ad libbing. Like uh, you know, he okay. sees a mark right. and it's like, oh, okay, okay. So I was just being dense. I, I, is is that how you took it, Anthony? That it was like, yeah, again, just a, a crime of opportunity kind of thing. Okay. You know? Yeah, I think Al Pacino, but has has been a drag addict when he comes into the story, and as and so as a vet, like it's it sort of suggests like once you understand this world, like we we have been shown yeah. the world in the movie, and they have become used to it as characters, and so. You just are. It's like street smart, isn't it? You you can see a mark. You can see inexperience in other people. You can see yeah. a prime opportunity, whether it's stealing a TV or stealing a wallet, 
or knowing when someone's vulnerable or whatever. Yeah. And it's also it's a it's a selfish world because there like when I think Bobby has a moment where he does get Helen the first time to go like will you go to get score for me? And we don't yeah. know why he won't won't go if it's just I can't remember if they give a reason. But it's like I guess it's he's worried that it won't work out or like there could be some reason why they won't deal to me or something. As it turns out, it's she gets busted on it. Maybe it was like an unreliable, like I like someone that was was they think, were thought. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, th- I think Bobby is is aware that there's the potential for him to get busted. So having her go instead, he knew that like she she's a new. It won't face. be a, maybe. Yeah, maybe it'll go better or won't be. It won't be him again. He's like got previous. So he'll be in jail yeah. for longer. But also, she says she's like wise enough. Then she has enough street smarts to know you're not asking me to do this for you. You're asking me how much will I do for you? Yeah, and I'm fine with it. And then that she's like, I will go there. We are in love enough. I like I'm in this relationship enough to like, yeah, go go into darker places than I. I've just been hanging out with you, but now I will start doing more for you. And I, I think it's interesting. It doesn't go for an obvious he's manipulating her. It's like they're sort of partners. No, he... they're, in, they're in agreement. As, like I don't think she's totally fooled by him. I no, think, like... that's, that's one of the most interesting things to me was that it isn't the broader representation of, you know, like I said at the start, like he's not kind of hooking her in in order to use her. Like they genuinely have affection for each other. It's a It's a real relationship. It just is between two kind of busted people in yeah. a really horrible situation. Yeah, and that's why I think it, it becomes more genuinely a romance this way. I think what makes me go, this is a good movie that I can watch again, if if only decades apart, is it's a movie about two people who have a genuine and real relationship with each other. It's a It's a couple that are real and they get each other and it's not like Bonnie and Clyde, we're going to ride off, we're going to keep doing this until we die or whatever, get taken in by the cops. This is just two people surviving together that's mutually beneficial, but it's also genuine affection. And it is, But it's like a realistic portrayal of how junkie couples are. They go on hmm. the journey together. There's, one of them might be the leader and be pulling the other one along, but eventually, once you're in the thick of it, it is just like you you get it. Everyone knows the situation. And it's just about well, you know, we've been together this long. It's, it's, um, it's sort of sweet, isn't it? In the in the sad pathetic, Yeah, that's something nice about the fact that they end up look just we'll stick together still through all of this. I know, it is, but it also isn't. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. toxic, it's toxic and awful. Yeah. We want a scene perhaps we don't want it, but maybe if her dad finds her and takes her away and she goes to a rehab and she's saved. I mean or maybe, a worse film would do that. <laughs> yeah. Or Bobby uh like abandons her and he gets his life on track or something. Like it's something weird where you could do any number of things with it, but I think uh the way this movie plays it out is like, well, that is a romance. It's just a really sad romance. To be fair, so was Bonnie and Clyde. That was also very sad, and they died horribly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, but like that ended in a literal blaze of bullets. And I think the thing with them is they were addicts to robbing banks. It wasn't even about having money. It was about enjoying the having, life, having uh, being able to do whatever you wanted. Like, yeah, you know? the um. <sighs> 
what I like about this film is what I didn't like, and I I, I have no idea what the opinion of uh this the other this other film I'm about to mention is anymore. So I don't know if this is like a hot take, but it's what I didn't really like about Requiem for a Dream. Right. Um, I've only ever seen that once, and it was at ten o'clock in the morning in a college <laughs> class. Not the usual. <laughs> they would, I know they were, and it was the first time I'd seen it with a room full of fellow students um, who first year as well. So I didn't really know anyone yet. So sitting in a room full of people your age who are ostensibly strangers and then seeing like S to S is really, (laughs) really something. There's no Um, real way to recover the day after that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I didn't like about that film and that, and I'm not saying like, it's a bad film. It's absolutely not. And I can see why it, was you know lauded in the way well, I, I've not I've out. watched it and not revisited it and I have watched this and I wouldn't oh, I, watch this both again. both of these films I will probably not watch again uh, yeah. <laughs> what I didn't like about Requiem for a Dream other than Jared Leto is in it sure. is uh, he's good in it it's fine is it really for me I feel like it's beating you over the head with the grimness of all of it and it's doing it in in a, a very exaggerated deliberately but very exaggerated very stylized way that is like it really wears you down but it's also not it's it's not like it's not real you know what i mean like it's a very like filmic representation of this kind of tragedy yeah. and i for me something like this, Panic in Needle Park, how grounded it is and how dedicated it is to being real yeah. makes it that much more effective. Like, to me, this is much more upsetting in a genuine way than Requiem for a Dream, which is just like, well, it's just, you you are really trying hard to make me feel bad. Whereas this is just like playing out and I feel bad because I feel for these people who come across as real people. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's a very good mirror for that world. And like any time looking in a sad motel mirror, it's like, oh God, is that yeah, really I, what I I'm looking at? I kind of feel the same way to a lesser extent because I, I, I like it more. Um, but uh, with train spotting, I feel like train spotting is kind of in the middle. Well, like, train, train spotting is more of a comedy it's more like funny characters yeah and it, it punctuates that with awful tension and horrific moments that put but you it on is edge also, but it's, it's really more funny than it is film. also kind of more like again to not i'm trying to not to overuse the word but it, it is more stylized as well it's more film mm-hmm. yeah um, i mean you know it's a it's this. a such a good book to begin with as well this is right. this is more like let's Film on location yeah, and capture something real, and train spotting is real observations dialed, uh, yeah. you know, you know, edited into a comedy story that is. Yeah. It's a little. There's a little more happening in train spotting as well, you know. In fact, yes. So this is this is more real, or at least it feels real. I mean, you know, we can't attest to it, but um, you know, it's there's a there's something to be said for how good a portrayal it feels of this world and I I think one anecdote I'm half remembering from reading or something was someone like Keith Richards or someone from The Who it was Keith Richards Keith Richards or some of the Rolling Stones what am I talking about yes yeah Rolling Stones Keith Richards talking to the director was like oh man did you you ever do 
asking the director if he ever did hard drugs. And the guy was like, no. And, and then that surprised Keith Richards. And it's like, well, I can, you know, I can make a film. Uh, uh, you know, I don't have to be a pregnant woman to make a film about a pregnant woman. Yeah, you know, like, like it's it that. It's like, that, like, like can, I'm, yeah. I can film a woman giving birth, but I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, and I think it's, uh, I think I'm with Keith Richards, like, fair play, like, to have this much insight yeah. into a world that you haven't experienced mm. yourself is, 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 uh, you know, really commendable. Uh, but and, and not to forget, like, you know, people watching this in 1971, yeah, as well. Like you, you know, we've we've had decades of films that have done the same thing. Yeah, you're right. It, it like it, it's less cliched in like some of this stuff is just it's been in so many other movies. It could be blase, but yeah, seventy one mm. is just, well, again, just just come out of the sixties, and then this is a real wake up call to reality in seventy one, isn't it? If you combine that as well with the fact that it, you know, if if it was the first or one of the first American films to use this kind of uh, pseudo-documentary style of filmmaking, mm. that just increases that impact then. Because it's like, you know, for, for audiences who aren't used to that style, it is almost like being in the... And, and being confronted with a lot of stuff they aren't normally... Like, it's, it's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to take in in, you know, 2023. Yeah. Um, having seen various films and portrayals of this kind of stuff... You know, it, and it, it is very much a testament to, you know, how how well the director and, and like, really everyone involved, like, all the actors as well, really drive or really drill into trying to evoke that sense of realism um, that, it, that it still is effective. And also trying to um, not just portray the realism in terms of the addiction, but also of just a difficult unpleasant relationship and making that very real yeah i mean i watched this when i was 16 and uh i have not become a heroin addict so i think it's job done <laughs> it's right? effective i have a better I, I like to think i have a better relationship with my partner um i certainly haven't you know pimped her oh, out or she's anything. suspiciously not on now that you're saying that <laughs> yeah, well, she's she knows the place, and she's gone to get the heroin, as I suggested. <laughs> like she, I have a relationship where I do manipulate her explicitly. <laughs> None of this halfway measures. Do I love her? She knows. I'm like fucking Andrew Tate. I keep people in. The, like, <laughs> no, I mean, what I mean is like this oh, movie God. can do one thing. If it does one thing, it's make you go, "Don't fancy that heroin that people, yeah, are into." It just. Maybe there's a small chance it's like a how to become a heroin addict in New York. Only if you ignore all of the rest of the film. Yeah. Like, there's no fucking heroin chic kind of thing going on here. Yeah, I mean, it would be like watching a car crash and being, hmm, I might buy that Prius that is wrapped around that tree, actually. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> that's a good advert for that. So, what you're saying is, uh, it's like, looking at any Tesla ad and going, oh, I might buy a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so a good film, but not one of those ones that you go, oh, bang that on, cheer me up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You, so we're kind of in the in the, in the the territory of, oh, it's really good, guys, but I'm not watching that again. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I've seen it now, so I'll, once it once it's faded again, I'll, I'll probably I'll I'll be willing to check in with it again. Maybe have a different take on it when I'm watching it at sixty and like I'm I'm a heroin addict at last. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly have a different vibe on it. Oh, it didn't work after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those films where it's like I'm glad I'm glad I watched this thing. I never want to watch again. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's. It is. It does exactly what it sets out to do. It does it very, very well, and that's part of why I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> like it's so. It's, yeah, yeah. It's just it's bleak, but there's an element of like bitter sweetness that almost makes it worse. <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't know what the deal with Jerry uh, Schatzberg is, but another film with Al Pacino. Right now, this is like a film where he's with Gene Hackman. I think it must have been like a few years after this. Yeah. Correct. But they're like, sorry, gone. Scarecrow. Scarecrow, yeah, where they're like a couple of Gene Hackman and Al Pacino, a couple of like wandering hobos just sort of getting by and having lofty plans but that never come to fruition. But that, that one sounds like my kind of thing as well, doesn't it? it yeah. It's a, but it's, it's like it's a slightly different but similar vibe of like, God, oh, America's depressing and people are unreliable and no one there's like it's sort of um I don't know it, it's an interesting film, but it's like I can't watch this again. Like that one, I'm like, no thanks. There's not enough raw. There's no like Gene Hackman and Al Pacino aren't lovers in that, so it's less of a romance, <laughs> more of a buddies who don't care about each other that much kind of vibe. Yeah, do but know, I, I don't yeah, know what, why kinda... he does these sorts of things. I mean, and I don't know. Yeah, some directors, just, that's you know, that's the kind of story they want to tell. Um, yes, I was going to say, it kind of left me feeling the same way. I mean, this is a significantly better film, I think, but it did kind of leave me with the same feeling that Ironweed did. Yeah, Ironweed, which we did previously, if you know, a few pods ago. Yeah, um, like that film's good, but it's not like it's, it's sad anecdotes. <laughs> it, well, and it's also it's a bit tedious and too long, and th- this is much more uh, like efficient. Like this is much. This is a just like a better made film, to be honest, but. Yeah, that, it it has that same thing of like, there's a there's kind of a beauty and a sadness to it that I'm I am glad I experienced, but yeah. it's fucking one and done. Yeah, I think Ironweed is more middle aged, and this is like more like twenty something, isn't it? Because of the, the the people in it are a bit yeah. younger. Yes, it's not it's 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 not about getting old and falling to and, bits. Yeah, it's about falling to bits instantly, and uh, <laughs> like that being fine. <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, panic over, guys. Job done. Podcast ticked off once again, I think. Anything else you want to say, Anthony? No, I mean, Jamie pretty much summed up exactly how I feel about it. Like, mucho respect. It definitely achieved what it wanted to, but I won't probably be watching it. <laughs> or will you be putting it on instead? Just watch some gummy bears. Gummy bears, bouncing here and there and everywhere. No one I... dies of a heroin. Over, uh, no one dies of heroin <laughs> overdose in either of gummy bears or this. So I, uh, I'll just watch that one uh, scene from Jack and Jill where he raps about the Dunkachino. Um, Hell of a, a jacket he's wearing as well. Oh God! I th- this has been pointed out on a different podcast. I won't go into it too much, but the way he says "dunk" in that <laughs> scene just that film's not funny but that scene is fucking fantastic um and it, it's mainly because of how into it Al Pacino appears to be 
Um, you have but... to have a career of uh, legendary performances yes. of of horrible men, so that you can upend that expectation and <laughs> and sing about deep fried dough, you know, and coffee. Say hello uh, to my chocolate blend. Oh my god! It's it's <laughs> not like... out anymore. It's gone. It's like pop art, the level of up, up ending of his career he's doing there. The irony on that, it's like, oh. you are getting paid to do this, but at the same time, it's it's high art that you fucking I, are this much of a sellout. <laughs> I love the idea that Adam Sandler gave him that scene, and he read it and went, yes! Ha ha ha! Oh boy, let's go! You make him seem like Vince McMahon when you're doing an impression. <laughs> no, I just realized I sound like Al Pacino playing Vince McMahon. Ugh, I can't do it. It was I me, Austin. Al Pacino, all along. Oh, boy. It was me, Bobby. <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna puke. <laughs> Up his Dunkachino. <laughs> Hoo-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Jesus! Anyway, oh, what happened? We were doing so well. This was such a, a high-minded discussion of a very serious film. I don't think I can go over an hour without referencing wrestling. I think that's the problem. <laughs> anyway, bye bye. Toodaloo.